0: Welcome to The Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of The Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are excited to bring back March Madness, which we didn't do last year because it happened in the midst of, I guess- Another the, kind of March Madness. <laughs> uh, yes, right. That's, that's so true. The onset of another kind of March Madness where things were uncertain and the actual March Madness that we co-opted this idea from was canceled. So in solidarity, we canceled as well, but this year we're back. So that is going to be the bulk of this episode. But before we get to that, Gail, why don't you tell us what you've been reading?
1: So I don't know what's going on with me, but I- (laughs) Reading slump? I'm in a reading slump. Like I keep casting around for a book and I've tried, like I tried one book that I had on NetGalley. And so I was reading it on my iPad, which I've just come to the conclusion I really don't like doing. But then it came in at the library, so I had it in hard copy, and yet I still haven't really picked it up. So I don't know what's going on with that. Which book is that? It was called um, What Could Be Saved by Lise Halloran-Schwartz. And it's a book that I think I talked about on maybe our winter book preview. And I really want to read it. And I don't dislike it. I just, for whatever reason, can't seem to pick it up. Then I picked up this other book, which is like... (laughs) almost softborn. It's called in at the deep end. And mm. it's about <laughs> a woman who sort of discovers like that she's a lesbian and starts like embarking on these lesbian relationships. And it's, that should have kept my attention just cause it's like very kind of juicy. But, um, I, again, put it down and didn't pick it back up. So finally a book came in the mail called between two kingdoms. And I, I think I might've talked about that. I can't remember if I've talked about that on a show or not. And I'm going to butcher the author's last name because it's, um, it's not, it, it's not, uh, an easy name to pronounce. Um, I'm looking it up right now so that I don't mess it up. It's by Suleika Jaud or J A U J A O U A D. Um, and it's a memoir about a young woman in her early 20s who gets leukemia and it's about her treatment and i think her ultimate emergence from sort of the cancer stage of her life and it's actually really good so now i'm like in it i'm reading it so memoir like came through for me hmm. big time so i don't know what's going on i just like it's march the 14th and i i have yet to finish a book this month just really unlike me
0: yeah those yeah. reading slumps can be tough. Mm-hmm. And you really do have to, I think you have to be a committed DNFer to get through them for a while. Yeah, but You just have to say, this isn't working. I'll come back and let it go. I just reclassified a bunch of books that I was currently reading. And I said, okay, I've got a list 10 deep now. I've got to clear some of these back to the to be read. And so... I did finish one book though. What'd you read? I read The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Pinner. That's the book that we plan to swap.
1: Yeah. How is it? It was good.
0: I really liked it. It is about this young woman who comes to this apothecary. Her name is Eliza on behalf of her boss. And she meets this woman, Nella, and it's, it's the shop that's in a dark alley, like it's hidden. And she goes in to the shop. And I guess when you're first there, it appears that nothing is there. And there is just like a hidden room where she conducts her business. And Nella, the apothecary, she's had some heartache, like her mom dies. She has some things go wrong in her life. And even though she's an apothecary and people can come to her for medicinal Things She has also taken a dark turn to where she is helping women who are in troubled marriages escape from them. And it's usually by preparing a poison for them to administer to their husband. So when Nella meets Eliza, like before Eliza even gets in the door, she has a bad feeling about it. But she, she meets with Eliza and she gives her what she needs for her employer. So this is a story that's told in two time periods. The current time period is present day London. And this woman, Carolyn, has come to London by herself. Like She's supposed to be with her husband celebrating her 10th anniversary, but she has made a discovery about her marriage that has sent her reeling. So she has come on this trip by herself. And while she's there exploring, like she's trying to do some things because she's kind of she's kind of in the dumps. Like she had expected to be on this trip with her husband, her parents have sprung for this really nice hotel for them to stay in and she's here alone. So she gets involved with this group that does mudlarking, which is basically you're in the Thames River searching I guess if you can find treasures, like the tide is always shifting in and out. So there's always stuff that you can discover. And she discovers this glass bottle that kind of connects her to the past where Eliza and Nella are working through something that's very problematic in their, in their transaction. So I really enjoyed it. I read it pretty quickly, I think in two or three days. It was one of those stories that you want to get back into. I felt like both time periods were compelling. Like when I was in Caroline's story, I wanted to see what was going to happen. When I was with Nell and Liza, I couldn't wait to see what was happening, which I think is really great because sometimes with dual time periods, you like one more than the other which can be kind of problematic. But with this one, I really wanted to see what the story was. And it was really cool too, because the past is set in 1791. So Caroline is exploring. So she's looking at these different maps, like maps that what the city was like back in 1791, how it's morphed. So it was, it was really good book.
1: Excellent. Well, at some point, we'll swap it when, I'm, when I finally get to the one that I picked.
0: All right. I said I will set this aside to see if I can swap it with Gail. All right. So, are we ready to jump into some <clears throat> bracket activity here? A couple of years ago, Gail and I came up with this idea. Like, we, we have reading tastes, we kind of read around each other. I feel like things that I really like, you are one star above it, and vice versa, or half a star. The books that we do manage to read in common. So we decided that we were going to pit those books against each other to see what the best book is, what we can come up with the best book that we have both read in common that we can agree on. And we decided some criteria for that. So I called a list over the past two years, since we didn't do it, we didn't do it last year. So I took two years worth of books that Gail and I had read in common, and I think we concentrated on some of the newer books, but we also got help. Uh, we posted on Instagram and Facebook, and so we had our listeners curate some of those. So before we get to what the bracket turned out to be, Gail, can you tell us what the Facebook listeners came up with? Sure, so what did they want to hear about?
1: Uh, yeah, so I think we gave the listeners about thirty two books and we needed to call it down to sixteen because we wanted to have the sweet sixteen for this bracket. I would say most of the books that are in the final, and I will read the list soon, are books that were uh, recommended by our listeners, so that they went through and said, these are the ones that we would love to see in there and And I think I threw in a few extra at the end that I know that you and I both really liked that weren't on the list. Before I get to that list, let me explain how we ranked them because what you have to do for a bracket is you have to seed the, the books. And, and that's something that's
0: new for us because I don't think we did it the first time. And we were disappointed right. that some good stuff got, had no competition or got knocked out too early.
1: Too early, right. Or we found we were pitting books together that it just didn't, they didn't really make any sense, the matchups. So what I did was I asked Nicole... And I did the same thing to rank the 16 books from one to 16 with one being your favorite and 16 being your least favorite out of this particular group. So we each did that. And then I took the, um, the lists and I assigned a value one to 16, and I just simply added together the two numbers that the book got. So if Nicole ranked it number three and I ranked it number six, it got a nine and so on. And then I just ordered it one through 16 or one, one through 16 based on those values. And it actually worked out. I think there were only like two ties and, um, the way it worked out in the rankings, I think the books that were ties end up being pitted against each other. It just worked out that way. So I think it, you know, is this like scientifically fair? Probably not, but it's the best that I could do (laughs) to figure out how to do something like this. No, I think
0: that's kind of good because based on the book's numbers, and I think that the highest will go against the lowest.
1: Yeah. So when you, once you have that, you then pit one versus 16 and two versus 15. This is how they do it in the NCAA. So you have, the worst teams playing the best teams. And it's unlikely that the worst teams will win, but sometimes you get upsets. And then the teams that are in the middle end up playing each other. So it, it just, it ends up that you don't end up knocking out really good teams early on, unless, you know, something crazy happens. And that's of course what makes March Madness fun. So, um, so who
0: knows what crazy could happen Who knows? here with the
1: major the lit- upsets, literary book tournament. Right. <laughs> So I will run through the matchups, and then Nicole and I are going to um, we're going to pit the books against each other and discuss which we think is the best book out of each matchup. And the, those winners will move on to the next elite eight, and then to the final four, and then of course to the final two championship matchup. And we've also decided we need to have some structure to this conversation. It can't just be like, oh, I like that book. It has to it has to be some reason for why we pick a, a winner. And so we have four criteria that we are going to evaluate these books by. First question is, did the book make you think? Do we know what the author was trying to accomplish and did they succeed? Would you read this book again? And then did this book make a long lasting impact on you? So we're going to incorporate these questions into our evaluation and our conversation as we go through and and look at these matchups.
0: I'm looking at some of these matchups. I did pull up the list and, ooh, some of them are really, some of them are really tough because I like both books.
1: Yep. Well, that's where I think that the criteria will be helpful because it will help us sort of focus what it is that we'd like, and then decide maybe if an author did not succeed with one or two of those questions, then that's why it won't move on.
0: So, why don't you read out the 16 books, but in their pairs?
1: And do you want me to also read off the seed number so you can see? Um, sure. Okay, I'll do that. All right. So, what's so, the,
0: high- but now it makes mm-hmm. me want to go from highest seed to lowest because we're going to discuss the pairs anyway.
1: Yeah. I'll just read off the pairs. That's what I'm going to do. So the first pair is our top rated book, which is Sing Unburied Sing by Jessamine Ward against our lowest rated book, which is Educated by Tara Westover. So that's pair number one. Pair number two is My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell, which is Going Up Against Such a Fun Age by mm, Kylie this Reed. This one, man. <laughs> <laughs> then we have The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead against Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins-Reed. Then we have In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado versus The Last Flight by Julie Clark. Next up is There, There by Tommy Orange versus The Dreamers by Karen Thompson-Walker. Long Bright River by Liz Moore going up against... uh, Oh, I messed that up. Sorry. Long Bright River goes up against A Woman Is No Man by A Tough Room. Sorry, I wrote that down wrong on my list, but it is A Woman Is No Man. Next up is Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene, which is going up against uh, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. Yeah,
0: because what's going up against The Vanishing Half?
1: Okay, our next matchup is Long Bright River versus The Dreamers. Long Bright River by Liz Moore versus The Dreamers by Karen Thompson-Walker. Then comes There There by Tommy Orange against Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. Then Ask Again Yes goes up against A Woman Is No Man. And then our last pair, and I love this, they have the actual same amount of points, so it's a good matchup, is Normal People by Sally Rooney against The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. So these are all really good books. Like there's not a bad book on this list at all. And there's not a book on this list that we haven't discussed very favorably and gotten a lot out of. And I know that there's a lot of reader favorites on here. So hopefully that makes for some good listening because everyone's breaking hearts then. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's going to have a lot of champions on here people are going to have strong opinions. So feel free to tell us if you think we get it wrong, but hopefully the discussion will at least justify why we did what we did. Nothing should sound arbitrary or unfair. All right. So should we hop into it? Sure. And just start taking it. Okay. Our first matchup is Sing Unburied, Sing versus Educated. All right. Did the book make you think? Did we know what the author was trying to accomplish? Would you read it again? And did it make a long lasting impact on you? So I'll (laughs) I'll hop into this one. So I think that the strength of Educated is that, yes, we do know what the author was trying to accomplish here. And she had quite a story to tell and a lot of conflicting feelings about her childhood and her family and how she grew up. What do you think she was trying to accomplish? I mean, I think she was trying to work through her life. I mean, I think it was very therapeutic for her to write about it. And I think probably as people learned her story, they were incredulous and amazed. And she sort of was like, wow, like people would be very, you know, intrigued by my life. I think I said this at the time we talked about this book, the book felt very therapeutic for her. And she was so tightly wound and so private that probably writing it was like, I need to like share my story with the world just to like feel not so alone in what I went through. So yeah, I think that she succeeded in what she was trying to accomplish. Um, Would I read educated again? Definitely not. And um, did it make me think? Yes. It made me think about her life, but it wasn't like it didn't change my view of the world. So for me, this is not a hard call. Like Sing Unburied Sing, you know, it, did it make me think absolutely and do we know what she was trying to accomplish i think yes i mean it's pretty clear like she had a lot of things she was trying to accomplish in that book and a lot of messages she was saying and I, we actually talked about this book at length on our our anti-racist episode and i don't want to sort of belabor the point but i do think that she does a great job of addressing racism and humanizing these characters and and really getting you into their heads and what they go through on a daily basis and what their lives are like and how they relate to each other. Did it make a long lasting impact on me? Absolutely. Like I think about that book, There's scenes in that book, that car ride. And I don't know, I think about the book a lot. So for me, not a tough call. I would put Sing, Buried Sing forward.
0: Well, yeah. I
1: mean, too,
0: not a tough call. Like I said, I didn't want it to be knee jerk, but this was the lowest rank book that we read. With educated, I thought that the story ended up being half-baked in a sense, because I felt like that she probably needed more distance between it, just because with the level of violence that was in there, I guess the way her father and her brother were so possessive, seems like there was another layer there that was not explored. And I also wonder if it was rushed. I think she might've mentioned it in the book that someone suggested or maybe recommended that she should write this book. It came out at a time where I think Hillbilly Elegy had come out and and done really well and it seemed to follow the vein of okay, we need another story out there and this was the female someone who is from this terrible background who goes on to be to have an exceptional life. A lot of it just did not hang together for me in terms of the story. There being discrepancies, questions I had. And we've talked at length about what I found problematic about the book. It was well-written and interesting. Um, Sing Unburied Sing, I agree with you. I feel like more than it's a story about racism, it's a story about a family and how they're trying to survive. And I think it goes into a lot of of cultural things that you might not necessarily know the way they... Well, then the charm that the little boy read, the, it was multi generational, the way the grandfather's story impacted all of their stories. I just thought it was just extraordinary storytelling that lets you see something from a different perspective. Like, she may, I don't think she set out to write about racism. I think that it was just inherent in this story that she was trying to tell, which is what made it so beautiful and which is why I would advance it.
1: Totally agree. So what's next? All right. Next up is My Dark Vanessa versus Such a Fun Age. I don't even think the criteria helps us here. It's like
0: they balance each other out, except for the one thing is I don't think I would read Such a Fun Age again. It was a little bit too light for me, but I do like all of the conversation that it prompted. And it was nice to see, it was nice to see like a young black woman who did not have all her stuff together or a young woman who didn't have her stuff together. Because I think we read a lot about usually it's people in young women in private school or people who have these Tony jobs. But this woman in such a fun age was just kind of a mess trying to, trying to be able to afford the things that her friends want, grappling with the fact that maybe she doesn't want the same things that our culture requires us to want to strive. She's content to live her life and is still searching for herself. And I thought that that was really important and great. My Dark Vanessa is such an opposite book in the sense that it's so much heavier and grapples with issues, I think, in a way that a lot of us do not want to look at. Sexual assault, a young woman who's groomed, a young woman who may not necessarily see herself the way society wants to see her because she has her own thoughts about her complicated relationship with this professor that she's interested in. I would read My Dark Vanessa again.
1: I think that's where, I i think that's the place where these books diverge for me is like, would you read it again? I agree they were both good. Such a Fun Age is lighter I do like that both of them tackle issues. I think we know what both authors were had set out to accomplish. Certainly, we know what Kate Elizabeth Russell was set out to accomplish. Same with Kylie Reed; it's pretty clear she wanted to take some issues head on and explore them. I definitely would not read such a fun age again, just because I feel like it just wasn't my type of book. I, I mean, it would, I would say it is my type of book, but I don't think I'd read it again because I kind of feel like I got what I needed out of it the first time around. Whereas My Dark Vanessa, while it was long and probably could have been edited a bit more, it there's a lot to it. And I think that if we read it again, we would find things that we missed the first time around because there's so much development of the story. The story develops so slowly and so gradually that I think there's things that you might not have picked up the first time that. Feel meaningful the second time. My vote would definitely be for my dark Vanessa to to progress. Are you in agreement with that? I'm in agreement. I do think I
0: I definitely would read my dark Vanessa again. But as I think about such a fun age, I probably think that if you were to read it again, there's things that maybe you missed just because it's such a quick read. But yeah, still my dark Vanessa.
1: I think that's a good point. I think it was easy to read such a fun age to sort of fly through it because it did have a lightness to it. And I think you're right that there's things in there that maybe- but there's still a lot there. Yeah, still a lot there. Okay. Third pairing is The Nickel Boys versus Daisy Jones and The Six. And I laugh only because they- <laughs> Have there been two more opposite books? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, On this gosh. list, these are two of the most opposite.
0: They're the most opposite. And I think this is even easier than Sing Unburied, Sing and Educated. I just feel like Daisy Jones and the Six is, it was a fun read. I was definitely into it at the time. I definitely recommend it because it's one of those things that you're in it. It's about relationships. You may be rooting for the couple. I feel like there's a lot about the music industry and who Daisy was, the decision she made, but it's against the Nickel Boys. It's just, I don't know that I would read Daisy Jones in the six. I listened to it on audio, which I felt like I really got the experience of having each character voiced by an actor. I remember it, but it's not like I remember it the way I remember the Nickel Boys. The Nickel Boys, I would definitely read again. I'm sure Daisy Jones in The Six accomplishes what Taylor Jenkins Reid set out to accomplish, to write kind of like a, a retrospective of this rock band. And she enjoyed, who did she base it on? I forgot. Fleetwood Mac. So I think that was really fun exploration. She did what she set out to do. In terms of whether I would read it again, whether the book made me think that's where the Nickel Boys pulls ahead because Daisy Jones and the Sixth, yes, there's tortured romance, there's rock and roll, there's, you know, drug addiction. There are some heavy themes in there, but just the presentation, I just feel like these are two different books. Like maybe if Daisy Jones and the six was up against such a funny age or something, maybe it would be a little, or the last flight, but they land where they land. And there's just no way that I couldn't advance the nickel boys by Colson Whitehead.
1: I'm going to say with this pairing that, um, oddly I would, there's one question I would sort of turn on its head here, which is the, would you read it again? So I think what I'm learned about myself after years and years of reading is I do not like to read on devices. I just don't. And I was kind of desperate to get my hands on this book, Daisy Jones and the Six. And I ended up with a digital copy and I read it on a Kindle. And I don't think I'd like reading on devices. I think it, it hinders my absorption of the book. And I did, I just don't, I I mean, I think, like I said at the top of the show, there was that book I was trying to read from Netgalley, and I don't, I just don't like it. It doesn't get entered into my brain the right way, and I don't engage with it the way I do when I have an actual paper book in my hand. So, would I read Daisy Jones and the Six again? I would, because I feel like I gave it short shrift the first time. And if I read it in paper, I think I might like it more. Whereas the Nickel Boys, I don't think I would read it again because I felt such dread as I read it the first time. And I think it would be almost even harder to read it again, knowing the a- end and going back and starting it again. It would be almost more heartbreaking the, the second time around. That said, everything else in the criteria pushes me towards Nickel Boys by far. Like you said, the Daisy Jones was interesting and fun and involving. And it's not... Just because it's about a rock band doesn't mean it's always light. There were, you know, issues, there were deep relationship issues and all that, but it doesn't come close to The Nickel Boys when it when it, the question is, did it make you think, or, you know, is this a book that, you know, that lasts? So I don't, again, I mean, these are early matchups and this was a, a very high seed versus a low seed. So I don't think it's that surprising, but nickel The Nickel Boys is definitely my vote. I mean, it won a Pulitzer, didn't it? It did.
0: <laughs> Daisy Jones and the Six won the Book of the um, the Book of the Year Award for Book of the Month, though.
1: So, yeah, I mean, they're both really good in different, very different ways. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Here are two also very different books: "In the Dream House" by Carmen Maria Machado versus "The Last Flight" by Julie Clark. So you have a memoir a very literary memoir versus a literary thriller. So, um, I can start with this one. Um, for me, this is also not a hard call because while the last flight was an interestingly told and engrossing thriller in the end, for me, it's really just a story about two women trying to escape difficult situations that they're in. And, the mastery of the book lies more in how she threads the two women's stories together versus a larger message or, you know, something kind of deeper than that. Whereas In the Dream House is a really, really interesting look at an abusive relationship between two women. And the way that she tells it is through these vignettes, these short chapters that adopt different genres and have nods back to theater and um, film and other literature. And I mean, it's, it's not like a cohesive, necessarily propulsive story the way The Last Flight is. I think there's just a lot more dimension and texture to it. And it, it has a, I think it just has a deeper meaning. In some ways, this is an unfair genre versus genre matchup. But for me, in the Dream House is in a category way, way above the Last Flight. It's kind of like the Emmys—you have all these different things
0: that are different categories, like they'll have best musical or best comedy or whatever. And when you go to the Oscars, and then they have these these movies that are competing that are just so different from each other, and you know that the dramatic one, the one that's drama is usually going to trump the one that is comedy, except for in the case of Shakespeare and Love. You mean the Golden Globes versus the Oscars? Or the Golden Globes versus the Oscars, yeah. They have the different categories, right? Where you feel like the things that are going up against each other are in the proper categories. So The Last Flight is really good, as you said. It just suffers from seeding. It's interesting that these two stories are similarly themed about women trying to escape the relationships that they're in. I just, I mean, in the dream house, I I just thought was just so masterfully put together in terms of how she uses the analysis of film and novels, which I love to illustrate some of the points that she's talking about. Each chapter I think is based on, it's like some form of escape, which is escaping me now as I think about how she subtitled them. It's like each one was an entry that you might find in a dictionary or something.
1: Yeah, she'll say like the dream house as dot right. dot dot, and then there's some analogy or metaphor there, right?
0: So I would agree with you and say that we have to advance in the dream house. Yeah. So the last, last flight, flight about was this.
1: The, the last flight was a good beach read. It's a you know it's a good engrossing. It's a great book that I think to pick up if you're in a reading slump. And I think it was really well put together. Like.
0: I think the author really thought it out. It wasn't like anything was, even though it was a story about escape, it wasn't wildly implausible. Like you could push a little and say, I think that this could happen like this.
1: Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned at the time that we talked about The Last Flight that I actually read another book by Julie Clark. You did? Yeah. And it was, the name is escaping me right now because it's one of those titles that's like a phrase. I'm going to look it up. It's one of those titles that's easy to forget because it's, it's uh, I think it's like The Ones We Love or something like that. Let's see. The Ones We Choose. The Ones We Choose. That was a very different book. It was definitely literary fiction and it was about families and paternity and relationships between fathers and daughters and commitment. And so I do think that her roots lie in literary fiction. And I think that's why this thriller was really good because it, she's not clearly somebody who just churns out like implausible stories to grab people's attention. She's really interested in delving into the kind of the human drama behind what's going on. And so her translating that over to the thriller side, I think was very effective. I wonder if she'll do it again. I feel like I read that she had a new book out, but I or coming out, and I and I remember thinking it was not a thriller, but I could be making that up. So <laughs> don't quote me on that. <laughs> we don't like thi- put that in a. Don't put that in a podcast or anything. We make things up. Yeah, we make things up. Okay, okay. so these matchups,
0: the four that we've done so far, did we do four?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're shaping up to be really tough for next time. It's going to be my dark Vanessa against the Dream House.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the nickel boys against sing unburied sing that's Mm -hmm. just ooh.
1: all right that's why like they call it heartbreak like it's it's hard all right should we go to the next next four matchups sure okay so the next one is long bright river by liz moore versus the dreamers by karen thompson walker you want to get kick that one off I don't know.
0: Long Bright River. It, it was, it was one of those, I would say it's a good genre blend, you know, it's literary, but it's also a mystery. She's, you know, this woman is trying to find her sister. It's she, I think that she set out to talk about or draw attention to the opioid crisis and how it affects families and how women are vulnerable and in crisis because of because of how they end up in order to get more drugs. The Dreamers, my problem with that book was that it was a little bit too dreamlike. Uh, a lot of it does not stick with me, but it is interesting to think about it in terms of the pandemic, where The Dreamers is basically the sleeping sickness. And with the coronavirus, there are many people who have shared that the sense of fatigue from the illness is overwhelming. It's almost like it adds more heft to the dreamers. But just as I think about what book I would read again, issues that I guess are more concrete in terms of in terms of poverty, drug addiction, prostitution, vulnerable women the relationship between the sisters, I would advance long, bright river, just because it was a little bit more tangible for me. besides the things I mentioned with the dreamers, I don't really remember a lot of the details. And I think that this is one that I enjoyed, but I feel like it took me a while. Either I got into it initially, but then I wandered, it lost my attention as it went. I think that this was one that you enjoyed a bit better than me.
1: I actually don't disagree with anything that you said, and I I don't know that I liked the dreamers that much more than you did. The only thing I'd add to what you just said is that now that we know, now that we're a year into the pandemic, the dreamers, there are some interesting elements of it beyond just the effect that the virus in the book had on the people who got it, but also on the reaction that people had. It was a college campus where it originated, and then it spread from there. And so, you know, you, she gets into like how the school reacts, and the kind of the isolation, and the them being cut off from everyone else, and then kind of the devolution of this society into like this very anarchic uh, dystopian place. And we haven't gotten there in America with the coronavirus, obviously, but it. it I think that reading it does make you think a lot about where we are today and and what we're going through. So it, it has some relevance that I don't think the author ever necessarily anticipated. It has some relevance and resonance with today that might make it interesting to pick it back up again. But for me, Long Bright River, like once I got started with that book, I could not put it down. I remember I was on a business trip. It was a little bit over a year ago. So it was the last trip I took before everything shut down. And I, it's a, that is not a short book. And I literally flew through it. it. I just was so immersed in the story. And I thought, God, the way she unpeeled that story and some of, there's some kind of secrets hidden at the core of it that she took her time getting to in such a, like, amazing way. I thought just, it was constructed so beautifully. And like you, the dreamers just did not leave a huge impact on me. Right. So for me, this is, this is a no brainer. I actually ranked Long Bright River higher than you did in the rankings. So with you, you had it at number eight and I think I had it at number four. For me, this is a, one of my top ranked books. Okay, next up, They're There by Tommy Orange versus Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. So I can start with this one. This is a tough pairing for me. I kind of go a little bit back and forth on this one. So They're There, they're both trying to say something for sure. There, there is very clear what the author is trying to do. This is a book about a a range of characters in mostly in Oakland, California, who are um, Native American. And he explores many different perspectives through these characters on kind of what it's like to be Native American in modern America. But he also goes back into history as well. And... There's a number of characters, most of whom kind of converge at the end in a in a meetup. I forgot what the name of it was called, what they call the, meet, the type of meetup at the Oakland Coliseum. And these lives converge together. But you really do see a huge range of people. It's a very depressing book and it's a tough read. And I don't think I would pick it up again just because it is not a fun book to get through. But that doesn't mean that I would... That, that for me, it wouldn't advance here because I think that the his success in terms of the book making you think and knowing what the author was trying to accomplish and it making a long lasting impact, I would say the book is strong in all of those. Leave the World Behind is an incredibly hyped book this year. And it also too has some... Culture, uh, some, some resonance with what we're going through now because some something has happened in New York and in the country and we don't know what it is. It's this kind of unspecified crisis that has happened that is shutting off communication to this vacation home where we find a white family who has rented it and then the black owners who have come back to the house because they're fleeing Manhattan because of this unspecified crisis. I think for me, leave the world behind while it was a immersive read and I wanted to find out what happened. It's too ambiguous and too vague to necessarily know what he was trying to accomplish. Like that's a complaint a lot of people had about the book is it it ends with like very little resolution and very little explanation of what happened. And the strength of it, of course, is in the relationship that develops between the couple and the family and the racial dimensions to it and how the family reacts and this you know sense of wanting to protect not only your house but protect your family and at times these people were in conflict with it i just for me this book was overhyped and i just didn't it didn't work for me as well as i wish it had so i would put there there forward but we're getting into now much more equitable matchups between books so You may have a very different opinion.
0: No, this one is not that hard for me. I've definitely put there, there over leave the world behind. I disagree in that I thought it was very clear. The end of the world or whatever I think is besides the point in leave the world behind. I think it was much more about this family's expectations of who would live in a home like the one that they're staying and what happens when the couple who owns the home shows up and it's different than they expected. So in some ways it is ex- explicitly about race, but I think in some ways it's also about tribalism. What are the what are the things that will push us together and it seems like it always takes catastrophe. I think it was in The Watchmen where this mad scientist dropped this giant squid on the earth. And every now and then there's just this rain of squid that come down. And he says that he had to create it because it was the only thing that was going to make humanity come together and, and realize that people, you're the same. You have to have this massive threat that is going to erase racial boundaries. And I think that that's kind of like what he is trying to get at with this unknown thing that is happening, that is threatening, you know, people are disappearing and it seems like maybe it's only them and how they come to that, how they change. So I thought that that was what he was trying to do. I think the resolution definitely is ambiguous because it's never defined. You don't know what it is they're facing or how they will move forward or even have a clue if they will be able to move forward in the long run. But there was something about it, you know, like I feel like it's one of these books that it it possibly is overhyped. I think it was everywhere, but I just feel like I can't even evaluate it fairly just because of the mindset that I was in when I read it. There there I feel like I would read again. There was just so much history that that is unknown to me about the different tribes and some things I had known, some of the discrimination. But just to read about that from the perspective of how different people are, are, I guess, confronting what their culture is, how much they want the culture to be a part of the world they live in, how people are viewed, how different people are treated, I guess, based on how they present. Like some people might look more Native American than others do. There was just so many threads and I definitely would want to go back and read that. I do agree with you. Like there's a vague sense of unease. There's an amorphousness about leave the world behind that just makes it, it's just like you get through it once, especially with the mindset that I was in when I read it. And there's something just daunting about thinking about it again. I just don't think, maybe the payoff is not enough for Leave the World
1: Behind. So there is definitely a sense of unease throughout there there as well. As well soon yeah, as
0: everything is leading up to, it yeah. opens up on something that's really dangerous and you think this cannot go well and it's leading up to like this group of people to come together for a powwow.
1: Right, especially when one of them is like, 3D printing guns. <laughs> you know, it's not going to end well. Yeah, if a yeah. gun is 3D
0: printed in the first, <laughs> in the first act,
1: right? Um, okay, so they're there, moves forward, leaving the world behind. Behind. All right. I think that we're going to have some spirited discussion over our next pairing, which is "Ask Again, Yes" by Mary Beth Keen versus. A Woman Is No Man.
0: Probably because we just had flip reactions on this. The Mary Beth Keene book is probably one of one of my lowest rated books. It's probably like 14, 15 or 16. I don't remember.
1: Yeah, you ranked it. Um, Actually, 14. Yeah. And I ranked it number one. <laughs> <laughs> so we may have some issues there. I forgot to mention, by the way, that A Woman Is No Man is written by A tough Room. So why don't you start with this one? Ask Again Yes.
0: I just didn't really like it or love it. I don't remember it that much. I think it turned out to be about something different than I expected it to be. Like I thought it might be much more about police officers living in a different place and um, the population that they police, but it turned out to be a novel about these two families who live next door to each other they have very different parenting styles. Well, the, it's really, a, it's really about mental health.
1: Right. It's a, and yeah, then so it, we'll, it gets into yeah. that. Yeah. One of the mothers has mental illness and it's about the impact of her mental illness on her son and therefore on the daughter of the, the other family who is romantically involved with the son. And I think it's about just this impact of how her mental illness Affects literally everyone around them, including the husband of the other family, because there's an incident where she's violent and he has to intervene and it ends up causing him um, physical damage.
0: See, none of that really stuck
1: with me. <laughs> just like, where were you reading this? I just wonder what, like, was it a bad time? Like, was it, or was it the book? No, I think it was just the book it just didn't, it just did not click with me. Okay. For me, it was like right in my wheelhouse because it's domestic drama, um, depressing, but there's this additional element of police and mental illness and then the impact on the families. And I like that it was told from different perspectives. You kind of got to see how different family members reacted and what their, how their lives were changed. And after that, I'd, I really, as you can see, I think I (laughs) rated it number one. So for, I felt really strongly about this book. I really, it was one of my absolute favorites of that year. Whereas A Woman is No Man is about a Palestinian woman who moves to the U.S. in an arranged marriage, basically leaving behind a, an oppressive male dominated life only to find herself living in a similarly oppressive male-dominated life in Brooklyn. Is that where they were living? Yes. I remember this one. Yeah. She's got four daughters and it's about how hard her life is and then how difficult she's foreseeing her life to be for her four daughters who she fears are going to end up in the similar life to what she's living.
0: I mean, I really liked A Woman is No Man. I would read it again. I thought it, it deals with a lot of issues. I think that we are blind to a lot of things in terms of people's lives. Like you just never know what kind of life anyone is having when they enter the door of their home. Um, I think it still resonates now. I think it will continue to resonate in terms of just how people are living and how it relates to just how your environment can be so different how how this country is trying to contain so many different types of life lives and how and how it can be radically different from the culture this is really hard for me because like i said ask again yes really did not leave much of an imprint for me so i would defer to you <laughs> to go through the criteria and I would let you make this choice just because I really don't remember ask again. Yes. Like it just, it was a book I read. It was interesting at the time, but in terms of these deeper relationships for whatever, maybe I didn't connect with the writing. I just, you know, even at the time remember being like,
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that, um, my issue with it asks, with my woman, a woman is no man actually came down to the writing. So I was reading back my review of it. And I found the writing to be very repetitive, and that the book was very much a like show, don't tell. like she she i f- I think that she said she she kind of over and over again just said what the woman was thinking rather than illustrating it Isra is the name of the woman. And they kept kind of having the same conversation over and over again, and I felt like it was almost overkill, like. Rather than banging me over the head with it through your writing, I'd rather see it through vignettes, through examples, through actions, and that really um, took away from the book for me. So I think on the merits of the book, like a couple of the questions about did the book make me think and do we know what the author was trying to accomplish, that's where that book, this book, was strongest. But as far as would I read it again? No, I definitely wouldn't read it again because I just I didn't I didn't enjoy the writing. Of this one.
0: And I think we disagreed on that because I didn't, I felt like, because that book is told you don't have any other setting really besides their house. And I thought yes. that was the point of it to be oppressive and just how much her one day was like another until it forced an outcome.
1: Right. I said, uh, that the same internal dialogue going the whole time. I said, this of course, enhanced the repressive claustrophobic nature of their lives. It was a claustrophobic reading experience, but it made me enjoy the book a lot less. What was the other criteria? Did it make a long lasting impact on you?
0: long lasting impact.
1: And so a woman is no man did not make a long lasting impact on me. And ask again, yes, did not make a long lasting impact on you. Is This a coin flip here. Yeah. I'm actually willing to concede this one, despite the fact that ask again, yes, was my number one. Um, I'm willing to concede it on the merits of, did the book make you think and what the author was trying to accomplish. Although I, again, like, I think that the mental health thread of Ask Again Yes was very persuasive and powerful. So it's not like I feel like it was just a family drama. I mean, I do think there was she that that she was trying to accomplish something there and that there was a message and it was, you know, it did make me think a lot about mental illness. But I see where you're where you are with this and, you know, I this wouldn't be March Madness without some upsets. And so you know, If you feel strongly about it, about ask again, yes, not progressing, I I can live with that.
0: I concede this to you to make the decision on because ask again, yes, is super vague to me. So if you want to advance it, if you feel strongly over it, then we can go with that.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a very, it's a very tough one here. I think that I will concede. Okay. I think I'll concede on this one. Okay. So the winner of this matchup is a woman is no no man. And I'm really sorry, Mary Beth (laughs) Keene, because I love your book. You're her number one. I Yeah, you were my number one, right? You really were. But that's like, this is March Madness. You know, we got to keep things interesting here. All right. Final matchup. And this is going to be another hard one. I predict Normal People by Sally Rooney versus The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. This isn't hard for me. Well, that's why I think this is going to be hard. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. So are you committed to something? Like, what are your I'm thoughts? committed to discussing. I mean, we have my number two. Oh. Versus my number 12.
0: And Which we one have was number
1: two? Normal people. And we have your number five versus your number 15. Oh. So we have a really we have a huge disparity here too.
0: Okay. I would feel comfortable arguing for the vanishing half just because I think it's something that really makes made me think, it's something I've thought a lot about since I read it. What are the other criteria?
1: What was the author trying to accomplish? Would you read it again and did it make a long-lasting impact on you?
0: It did. I find myself discussing this book. I We discussed it for book clubs and I feel like for book clubs, it's so easy to concentrate on discrepancies or things that bugged you. But I think she just, she did a stellar job creating the worlds and exploring. I know one of the sisters name was Stella and their children and how they interrelate. There were some coincidences there, but I think the story just really benefited from what does, what does racial identity mean? Like, what does it mean to to push your life aside to try to go for something that's going to make you have better opportunities. You know, what does it mean to leave your family behind? Normal people I mean, I liked normal people. It did not. Normal people is not one of these books that resonated with me as it did. It seemed like it was kind of caught the cultural zeitgeist in some respects and just people really, really loved it. Like I I was into the book because I feel like there's really angsty parts about relationships and class that she was trying to explore, but mostly about these teenage relationships that you just kind of want to sort of read with your hand over your eyes, peeking through your fingers when you see the mistakes that they make or how they keep circling around a relationship, but none of them is in the same place at the same time. So I thought that made it very compelling. But as I think back on it now it's not particularly memorable or life altering or
1: anything like that. Okay. So I have a different take on it. Um, for me, the vanishing half was so hyped up and I read it and I felt like there were some things about it that didn't work for me. Like, I think we talked about this, that so much of this book hinged on coincidences just the plot part of it that I kept finding myself as I was reading it, like, Oh, this couldn't happen. Like kind of rolling my eyes. Like what are the odds that she would run into this person at this particular time? And that distracted and detracted for me because I was just so focused on like, does this story seem plausible? And I I get, I I get what she was trying to do and I thought it was, I thought it was definitely interesting and the following the two sisters' lives as they had such different lives based on this decision they had made early on, one of them deciding to pass as white and one of them not. And so I, I like that part of it, but for me, the actual experience of reading it, I found frustrating. Whereas normal people, while it didn't take on, I think as weighty of an issue, it felt so real to me, like the characters were so realistic in their conversations and the things that they were doing and the angsty 20 something love, like I just got so sucked into it. And it's probably not fair because I then watched the miniseries on Hulu. So I had all this reinforcement of the story. Since reading it, I've been able to relive it through The screen and the adaptation was amazing. So that was great. So for me, like this book has become more robust through. But you uh, have to peel away the peel it away. But I think while reading it, I was still really into it. Like couldn't put it down. Was just sucked in. These characters have lived in my head since I read it. Connell and um Marion, and like I, you know, I I just I don't know, they really like dug in there and I I just really liked it. So it was kind of the experience of reading it, not so much the like message of the meaning of the book or its universality. It was just like this little relationship and this little part of the world just hit the right place for me. Okay. Well, that
0: doesn't sound very criteria based
1: though. No, you're right. But although would I read it again for sure. Would I read <laughs> The Banishing Half again? No. Um Did it make a long-lasting impact on me? No, not to the vanishing half, but definitely yes to normal people.
0: I guess I would argue that I felt similarly about normal people. I mean, they go to the same school. I don't feel like it was any less coincidental. I just felt like it was really angsty. And I think that was just the difference between the characters because Stella, it's like the difference between reading characters who are really warm. Like they're just like passionate and... You want them to go, or you want them to be in the same place at the same time. I think with the vanishing half, Stella has kind of closed herself off and shut down emotionally in order to be able to achieve bigger things. I thought it said a lot about identity and what it means to be white. Stella had such a struggle even then, even when she is white, the fact that she just could not get it That she was white. It's almost like it's a state of mind that she hadn't grown up with. So it was really hard for her to attain. And she kind of destroyed her life in the search of of something that she thought was better. When I think her sister, who I believe her name was Desiree, may have had a life that was less about riches and she had less opportunity, but she had a richer emotional life and connection with her mother and her daughter. And I feel like these are themes. I mean, everyone's going to always, you're going to agree, or I guess the angsty part of normal people is hard to ignore because I feel like we've all been in that teenage place. Like it's universal where you have a relationship that you want to work out and it's like the anticipation of it, the will they or won't they. I just, I just don't know when I think of what will stand the test of time, you know, like in five years, will we still be talking about normal people like this or would it be the vanishing half? I don't know. So it seems like we're voting for different books. So how do we resolve this?
1: Yeah, it's hard.
0: So for this one, we are going to have the readers or our listeners Our fellow readers and our listeners decide which of these books should advance. Gail and I are stuck. We can't decide whether it should be Normal People by Sally Rooney or whether it should be The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett that should advance. So we are asking our listeners to either comment when you see this episode up. You can comment on our blog on the Facebook group or the Facebook page or reach out to us on Instagram and let us know which of you these books you think should advance. And then we will we will consider our listeners to be the tiebreaker.
1: So just for um refreshment, the uh matchups for next time, this will be the Elite Eight are Sing Unburied Sing versus the Nickel Boys. It's gonna be hard. My Dark Vanessa versus in the dream house. Interest which is actually an interesting matchup because in some ways they're similar. Long Bright River versus A Woman Is No Man. And They're There versus either Normal People or The Vanishing Half. All right. So that's our show. So we will record next time, get to the next round here. Hopefully I will have broken my reader's slump and have read like three books to catch up, to make up for the first two weeks of March, which have been bad. <laughs> All right, until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.